Hey everybody, I'm Colin Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the Web3 Leaders Podcast. And today I have a new friend of mine. His name is Rupert Benry and he is a emerging technology specialist at Google. Uh, Rupert, very, very welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. So um, Rupert and I are both uh, kindred spirits in the fact that we like to uh, we like to post on LinkedIn and we like to comment on each other's posts and uh, we sort of just you know we're we're engaging a lot and we've had a couple of calls and I think our last call was you and, and me chatting until two a.m. your time or something like that about yeah, everything you can think of and we're, we're, we're both, and look at this we're, we're both wearing our flowery shirts today. <laughs> I, I, that was that. I mean, I wear them every day, but you know, I'm glad you joined me in that. So, so that's apparently I got the memo. <laughs> you definitely got style. the memo. Yeah, you got the blue background. You got the flowery shirt. I'm I'm really really happy. So thanks so much. So Rupert, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about you, your background, and the journey you've been on to get to where you are today. Sure. Well, it's uh, it, it's a bit of a strange one. If if I go back about 25 years, where uh, newly graduated as an expert in sea urchin reproduction. Uh, and that's uh, an opener that tends to take people by surprise. But um, alongside the biology, I've always had an interest in technology. And about 25 years ago, I, I fell head over heels in love with the web and contracted for about 10 years in London, just doing various uh, ad agency work, uh, creative web design. And then 15 years ago, joined Google, uh, had a variety of roles. Uh, but the core of what I do now is spotting new uh, technology trends and uh, advising our e-commerce retailers about what's coming next and how to prepare for it. So that to me sounds like hashtag dream job for a lot of people. And <laughs> a lot of spreadsheets. Uh, well, yeah, you can't escape that in big corporates. I mean, look, um, I've worked for big corporates all my life, started in Dell, went to Oracle, then to Salesforce, then back to Oracle, uh, HubSpot. You know, I, I've worked for all these. I've always worked the more kind of generic mundane jobs. How did you get into, you know, being in this con massive conglomerate of hundreds of thousands of people, but your primary job being about spotting emerging technologies and then advising either other businesses or clients on that? Sure. I, I would love to say there was a career plan here. I'm going to just suggest it was largely accidental. Um, I seem to have made a few lucky guesses along the way. Uh, part of it is just having a sense of, of well, I mean, bluntly, whether, you know, people sort of say thought leadership. I, I despise that phrase, but <laughs> if, if you keep your wits about you and you read a bit and probably get a subscription to Wired and join a couple of blogs, then you can usually see what's coming. And so what I've tried to do is always get a sense of, of what's happening a couple of years out and just learn a little bit of enough about it that people start coming to you. So the, the Google thing was purely accidental. Uh, it was uh, uh, the boyfriend of a, a potential flatmate that I stayed in touch with after the relationship broke down. And when he got a job in the recruiting department, he gave me a call. And uh, what can I say? He changed my life. Forever grateful to him and his broken relationship. Bless him. Wow. And so tell us about the particular technologies that you're, oh, you have been most passionate about before that we get to the ones that, that that we're more more connected on sure sure so honestly I, I would say i've gone through a career progression every five years or so and I, I would advise most people to try the same just be aware of 
of what the, the shift is. So I started making websites about 25 years ago and it was HTML and laterally uh, CSS, which I got quite good at. And that put me in demand for some of the ad agencies in uh, London primarily. Because uh, if you can keep the, the Photoshop guys happy, you you keep everybody happy and they ask you back mm. from which is always nice. Um, that was a core of what I did at Google starting 15 years back on a, on a web team. Uh, five years into that, there was a broad transition across uh, a lot of what we did towards mobile first and uh, wrote a, a white paper, did some early responsive design work, just in the assumption that we're always going to see a, a sort of shift towards uh, basically mobile traffic. And this was before... Uh, even analytics made a distinction between the device type Google Analytics. Uh, it started on a hunch, and then when we did start keeping tracking track of that stuff, we could see one percent, two percent, four percent year on year. And of course, now what you see across pretty broadly uh, the industry, certainly for retailers, you're, you're getting about two thirds of their traffic is on mobile, uh, mm. a third on on desktop. Uh, so that that's always been an interesting transition from mobile. I, I bet big uh, and maybe squandered a little bit of uh, uh, career progress on VR, but I had a fantastic mm. time working on some products like uh, Google Earth VR and actually had the, the good fortune to be in the right place at the right time and built Google's first uh, dedicated VR room and had a visit from the CEO himself, which was quite a thrill. Uh, didn't go cool. anywhere. Uh, we, uh, fantastic product, no seven-day active users. So we were a little ahead of the curve on that one. So interesting you say that um, because, so so which which was, which was CEO was it? Oh, which it's Sundar. Ah, fantastic. Wow, what was mm. that like? Very personable guy. I like him a lot. Mm. Um, you know, he's, he's sort of known as a safe pair of hands. Uh, he seems pretty unflappable in, well, rapidly changing circumstances. Um, I've always enjoyed his presentations. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the chat, and I think Google's in, mm. in good shape. I know there's a lot going on in the industry just now, but um, mm. I'm, I'm pretty pretty confident in, in where we're going with this stuff. Absolutely. So it, it, it's interesting what you say about the amount of traffic that is mobile, and it just made me remember something, because from the time I was... I don't know, 16, and I had a great big giant computer with one of those CRT monitors and got a uh, internet yeah. access. And then I was the same as you. 16, I taught myself HTML, started making basic websites, did a tiny bit of CSS, but never, ever went any further than that. I kind of wish I had. Yeah. But fast forward a couple of years, and then all of a sudden these statistics are coming out and they're going, everyone is going mobile now but not me. And when I say not me, of course I had a mobile phone, but when I was at home, I was in front of my big computer. You know, I had my big screen, blah, blah, and that's where it was. But most people weren't the nerds that I was. So it was the mobile phone that really just rapidly accelerated this transition into this new world for the mo most people, because they weren't like me. They weren't sitting in their back room on their computer for like four hours a night. They might've gone on to send an email or whatever, and, and, and that's gone. Um, but when this thing came along, all of a sudden, the internet is everywhere with them. It's omnipresent. And they are able to either A, get some information, or B, contact someone. And that was the game changer. The reason I bring this up is because of the fact that we have yet to experience that similar dimensional change into where we're going right now, uh, call it the metaverse, call it whatever you want, uh, or any of these sort of things, and I'm sure AI will be a part of that. 
But I suppose I'd like to hear your thoughts on kind of where my process is going in my head here and where you see it going, because we're about to embark, in my opinion, on a fairly, you know, uh, completely dimensional change in the way we consume and interact with digital, with other people, with assets, with information. And, you know, you and your role have got a very uh, interesting uh how do I say insight into that? And uh, yeah, I'm keen to hear a little bit about it. Sure. So um, I think coming back to the VR thing, there was, there was a little bit of a, a blip where we had assumed that perhaps some of this was going to be in these, um, like a proto uh, metaverse in a sense, but these 3D immersive uh, worlds where I, I was firmly of the belief that Google was going to have to pivot a lot of his products. What does a UX look like in, in VR world? And uh, mm. people just don't want to put a bicycle helmet on when they go to work or check a uh, productivity <laughs> app. And so I think that was a big sticking point face. there. Um, just something about the, the ungainliness of what you would have to use to get there. So I, weirdly, I'm, I'm going to take this in two directions. I, I can see sort of two possible futures and how we spend the majority of our time, the the point you made about mobile was interesting. If 16-year-old Colin now, he might, like, he's definitely not got a desktop. He might not even have a laptop. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I see teenagers now do all of their typing, all their emails, well, messaging and WhatsApp and Snapchat and what have you, purely on a mobile device. Uh, mm -hmm. So I can see us getting more and more uh, away from keyboards, which, you know, says something about what happens to long-form text content. Uh, but it could push us in two directions. Um, the ubiquitous internet, this idea of mobiles, is, as you say, is in your pocket and in the hands of billions around the planet. Um, I think screens might go away. I'm, I'm a huge fan of voice uh, conversational input. And um, I, I try and make myself do more voice, uh, like dictation, but more voice commands to my phone and stuff like that. And I have a pair of headphones on here, which I can wear all day. It's one of these bone conduction things. So you, you, most of the time, you're not even aware you have them, but you can drop into this voice input. And so I like this idea where it's the intelligent agents that come along as part of AI will be with you. Uh, and you can ask them a question whenever you want. And they know where you are because of the phone in your pocket. Uh, you have Absolutely. the GPS. And some of the devices you wear, I know Bose and Apple now have uh, you know, these inertial measurement units in the mm. headsets. And so it knows where your head is tilted and where you're moving. And so in the short term, you get spatial audio. In the long term, you get um, the voice in your head, know exactly where you are, what you're looking at, and how long you're looking at it for, and what that can do for the next prompt and how you continue a conversation with a, an AI. Well, I, 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 we talked about this before. I feel very strongly about this. I've always said that I don't, I think my son, who's three years of age, is going to look back in 10 or 15 years and go, Dad, what you so you experienced the internet by holding this piece of plastic and glass in your phone yeah. and stroking yeah. it with your finger? That's ridiculous. That's what he's going to say, you know. And yeah. I'm the same as you. I use voice a lot. Uh, there is an app I told you about it. It's called Jack Chat, and it's ChatGPT, but you you push to talk, and it yeah. listens to you, and and it can actually speak back to you. The voice is like Stephen Hawking and shit, but those things will get better. We yeah. need, you know, it's 2023. We need to sort of try and step away from this archaic technology. I mean, Elon Musk talks about it. He goes, you know, we have an input out problem. I, but, you know, the, the, the sort of 
the input's fine, but the output is like our what he calls our two little meat sticks. You're you're you're, you're top of the screen with this. It's it's insane. Yeah. Now that we've crossed this bridge of large language models being able to understand what we say, and we are going to be able to talk to them in a manner that I would talk to you or another friend, and they can understand us. I think it's time to go because we're so used to a Google search being, how can I compress the thoughts in one to my head into three, four or five words? Because the more I put in, the worse the results get. Whereas now those days are gone. And I think that this is a wonderful opportunity for us to pivot away. The other thing is, you know, is voice recognition is pretty good now. It's not perfect, but it's getting much better. Add in voice recognition, large language models is to figure out what you're saying. And uh, yeah, just like you said, you've got these bone conducting things. I want Samantha in my ears from the movie Her. I want her to be listening to everything yeah. I say all the time. And when I make a query, I don't even need an Alexa wake word. I want her to just know when I'm talking to her um, yeah. to get that answer. And hopefully I think that's coming. I think the the contrary point to that is just this shift we've had towards privacy uh, across the industry. And then Apple are making a point of possibly because Siri hasn't really panned out for them as much as it right. could have done. Uh, there's plenty of people that will not want their phones listening to them. I understand the utility, but it definitely has to be an opt-in, not a an opt-out. Um, I think it could go two ways. Um, it feels like you are supercharged or augmented in a way if you have this constant companion. Um, I think we could sort of see it go in some peculiar way. Um, if the audio is there and the phones stay in the pockets and sometimes you just want to take the headphones off and just not participate. Uh, just to come back to the earlier point, um, the, the second direction I think it could go on was hugely immersive. And this is where I'm thinking metaverse again, but possibly not on headsets. And that's things like uh, Roblox uh, as uh, a proxy for the metaverse and recent uh, uh communication from Epic suggesting they're going to bet big on Fortnite as a platform, Unreal for Fortnite, and have more of a creator economy around that and share some of that, the money. And so the amount of time people spend up, I mean, what hasn't changed for you and me, I would imagine, is that for our leisure, we actually spend quite a lot of time in front of big screens playing the same kind of video games with the same kind of inputs we did as kids, you know, joysticks and fire buttons. Um, I'm okay with that, and I'm okay for my metaverse is a version of that as well. Uh, so it, it, it's this weird mix of sometimes it's very light touch, just the, the audio thing. But when you want to be truly immersed in, in a more meaningful way, and meetings certainly can go in this direction too, then the metaverse is, is perhaps more along the lines of video games as opposed to Horizon Worlds that they seem to have a, another issue with seven-day active users. So well, all yeah, bets are I mean... off. <laughs> uh, on another podcast, I had Nick Rosa, who is the head of Metaverse for Accenture, and oh, nice. he had yeah. some very interesting points and topics about this. Because really, what we're waiting for for the Metaverse to you know become this thing that we all you know are expecting, but it's absolutely nowhere near, is a number of different issues. Um, there's a hardware issue. There's a literal computational performance ability that we're just not there yet. I mean, Apple are rumored to be bringing out this new headset, which will probably have an M2 chip in it. They're not cheap. They're thermally efficient, but still nowhere near where we need to go. Then we can get into pixel streaming and all that sort of stuff. But 
huge issue. Then the software, the content, you know, what's it going to look like? What's it going to do for us? We need the iPhone app store sort of moment of that, but there's also the societal change Hmm. element to this as well, because realistically, if we want, you know, to be living in this minority report style world where all of the world's information is around us at all time. And it's, you know, via a very simple pair of glasses. It's all well in theory, but the example I'll give you is I got a, a smartwatch very, very early on when they were brand new. Okay. One of the original before Google, I think it was an LG or something like that. And initially I was like, this is brilliant. I was like, it's amazing. Cause it means that when I get a message, I don't have to take my phone out of my pocket. I don't have to unlock it to look at it and then put away. I can just go like that. Okay. Also, like we talked about earlier, I've always been a big voice user. So on the front of my thing, I would tap that and I would go, you know, what's the weather like tomorrow or whatever it was. But I reasonably quickly stopped using this thing altogether. I'm pretty sure I have it at home in a, in a drawer. But the reason was is, and, and tell me if you kind of, this rings any bells, a lot, this happened to me many, many times when I would be sitting with someone or would be driving along in the car and we'd be chatting away and blah, blah, blah. And then I'd be like this and then I'd be like that or and then I'd be like, and they'd be like, yeah, are you bored? Do you have to be somewhere? Sorry, yeah. um, I, am I not engaging enough in the conversation? And yeah. for that, it, it just took me out of the situation I was in. And I, and since then I've never had another smartwatch. Now I bought yeah. one quite recently for my wife and she loves it. And yeah. you know, so many people have them. I know the guy who has the Rolex on one hand on the, and the iWatch on the other. I mean, it's hilarious, but, uh, it does say a lot about our sort of, you know, thoughts and, and perception around interaction with either the technology or, you know, the information that we're trying to clean. Yeah. That that was, um, I think that was something we got right. I mean, ten years ago, Google Glass, of course, came out to a degree of fanfare, mm. and uh, that was around the time I was, I was traveling quite a bit uh, in, in the Far East, and the the country that seemed the most advanced, uh, certainly with telecommunications, was Korea at that time. And you could sit yeah. on uh, one of the tube trains, and they would have these uh, enormous screens on their phones back then, and they would have a really solid signal and be all watching TV or shopping. Uh, like way before the rest of the world even had the right on the cusp of the iPhone, I think they were kind of the early smartphones, but amazing connectivity and a huge amount of commerce done on these things. Um, so it, it was this little kind of sense of here's what might come, but also you had the issue of everybody just looking down at the phones all the day, not having a lot of interaction, which to be honest, you probably didn't want to have when you're on the tube going home. Um, the social etiquette, I can certainly see that being a huge factor. Um, the idea behind Glass was, uh, I think we also sort of nicknamed it Google Glance, that instead of getting your phone out and being completely distracted, you just sort of look up and it would be in your eye line. Uh, and on the one hand, you were more present in your friends and in, in the company that you were keeping, but it was just the the freakiness of, of that interaction, the idea that somebody was having this augmented view and the fear of a camera potentially trained on your face that's uh, whether it was recording or not we never got past that really but the principle was that, staying engaged yeah. with the people you were with in that moment but it didn't really make it through to the, the product even though the technology was there society wasn't ready for it quite yet exactly and and that's the way i look at it google i've never tried one on so i don't know but 
I think if it didn't have a camera, it might've got further. People just sort of went, what do you mean? Some guy's gonna be coming in, he's wearing a pair of glasses and he could be videoing me or taking pictures of me at any time. I am not cool with that. That mm-hmm. to me was the the crux of it. They should have just not had a camera and have been it. They could add yeah. the camera later. Yeah. I mean, Snapchat had spectacles. Uh, there's a number of other companies, including some Chinese ones now, who have glasses. They're big and clunky and horrible and blah yeah, blah blah. Sure. But yeah. uh, I met a guy who you know is literally doing on it records twenty four seven and streams to the cloud, and he's got a partnership with Ray Ban. So you know, yeah. it's coming. But that's 10 years later than Google yeah, last came out because yeah. it's the societal change that needs to happen. And I think we do need an ability like the glasses, you know, you take them off. Okay. You're having dinner with someone, you take off the glasses, you know, you're yeah. walking down the street, you're on yeah. a bus, you can wear them. But, you know, I think if we had this full augmented reality, just like the glasses you have there, and I can be in a meeting or I can be, you know, talking to someone and they don't know what's he looking at, you know, is he scrolling Reddit? Is he watching porn? Who knows, you know, and (laughs) we're not ready for that quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, weirdly, I mean, back to this idea of the, the acceptability, You'd mentioned Apple previously, and I think prior to the AirPods, you had the the Bluetooth road warriors. You know, you, you got the sense it was some cheesy sales guy going down, driving, not really paying attention to the road, but he had the Bluetooth headset in there mm. speaking to his uh, sales manager. And uh, it, it was just not something that uh, fashionable people did walking down the street. And I remember like years ago, there was one point I just stood, I think when the AirPods first came out, I stood on a corner of a street uh, just around, the, just around from the, the Google office in New York and counted how many people had these AirPods in after about six months of them mm-hmm. being uh, out there. And it was, it was phenomenal to me. And the fact that, I mean, I should say the, the ones, uh, I forget which generation it had, but the ones which had the microphone built in, that, that was an eye opener for me. And if, if they can pull it off, if they can make the Bluetooth headset fashionable, just by changing the form factor and being Apple and drawing attention to it with the great marketing they do and this white plastic that they seem to put over everything. If they can do the same for some sort of AR glasses and whatever form factor it might be, sunglasses, it, it's weird. They, they just seem to have this, what is it they say, you know, the, the, the dent in the universe, just the shift of yeah. gravity that they can bring to so many people that just idolize them. Maybe they can do it again for AR glasses. I'd be thrilled if they did. Uh, sure. It's going to be expensive, though. That's for sure. It, it will. But look, I'll hold my hands up, and I think I've told you this before. I'm not an Apple fan, okay? I say that as a guy who has a MacBook Pro. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Uh, I do have one. I, I just I needed a new laptop. I went, screw it. Let's yeah, have a yeah. look at what yeah. everyone is thinking yeah. of. I think it's a beautiful piece of hardware. The software mm-hmm. is good in times, and it drives me completely bananas in others. I just don't understand how... Think different means think worse. Okay, but that aside, <laughs> yeah. I also remember when I was just like, everybody's using these AirPod things, like, and I didn't have any, and I, you know, maybe I had some Bluetooth headphones, probably a bit more like this. But when I went out and I bought a proper pair of AirPod equivalents that I that were comfortable that you could wear all the time that you could use for calls, that changed my life. I mean, mm. in a small yeah. degree, because all of a sudden I could 
be listening to podcasts. I could, you know, be watching my YouTube videos, or I could be having a conversation with a friend on the phone. It just, it changed the way I worked and it changed the way I operated day to day. Okay. Because yeah, I would be more inclined to call someone and just, you know, either sit on the couch or I'd be walking around rather than holding a physical phone to my face. And it, and it, yeah. it changed that dynamic yeah. and it still does. And I, I have, I have a pair of similar overhead earphones with the microphone like that. And, yeah. you know, the guys in my office laugh at me because I do circles. I walk around all the, all the time while I'm on my calls or we have a pool table. I sit there, I play pool on yeah. my, on, on, yeah. on my calls. And it is this sort of dimensional change. So I can't wait for the next one. And yeah, I'm, sure. as I said, I'm not a fan of Apple, but I'm not expecting anyone else to be able to pull this off. I have them myself, but I'm not even wearing them because I prefer the mechanics of this one. These, these pop out of my ears. But one of the worst things about audio on these devices, A, the lag, so you can't really use them for games, but just the connectivity and the fact they had this beautiful connection with the iPhone and the, the, the way they mm. charged in the, in the, the container. And the fact it would give you this nice view of the charge as you, you know, would, would sort of first like connect. It was just, it was seamless. That thing that they do so well, my God, you pay through the nose for it. But I can see why exactly. people do become, I mean, I, I like them despite myself. Everything I can have is Apple, but it's begrudgingly <laughs> because I, you know, I'm, I'm unwillingly paying the Apple tax, but nobody does it quite like yeah. it. I, I, I'm sort of, I'm rocking two phones at the moment. I have, I have a Pixel and an iPhone. Um, in mm. every regard, the Pixel phone I'm on is is pretty much better spec'd across everything. The iPhone just yeah. seems to have to better together. It seems larger than some of its parts, and the Pixel mm. isn't quite there. It is. The, the thing that I will say for Pixel, that this is why ultimately I've, I've come back into the fold for Android, is their, their voice is fantastic and their dictation is brilliant, mm. and you just don't get that with Apple. And so if you are interested in no. voice, I can't do it on the... On, a, on an iPhone, unfortunately. Do you think that maybe that is something that Apple could use as its next thing? Okay, so they had a I believe Siri that, and they didn't take it. Yeah, but again, Siri, Google, Cortana, they're all dumb as shit. And I mean, I used to use voice significantly at the very beginning. But at that stage, it, it, it might work or it might not work. And yeah. if it worked nine out of 10 times, okay. But if it's only working three out of four, you're just going to fucking type yeah, it. Because it. Yeah, the frustration I don't, yeah. I know it's only three seconds, but I don't want to do the voice, have it not recognized, then have to go back into the keyboard and type it again. I would have typed it faster in the first place. And that yeah. is the issue. But yeah. I believe that yeah. we're kind of, we're kind of past that now. And I think if Apple, if anyone can do it, Apple can. Um, I haven't. had this conversation with a friend of mine. I know that. I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. Yeah. He basically goes, I don't like talking to anyone. You know, I'd call him. He's like, no, I'm afraid. And, and a lot of people are like yeah. this, but maybe they can be the ones because no one can push institutional change like Apple into that, getting yeah. everyone to sort of do things differently. And as I say, I hate them, but I'm fully in support of them being the ones to push it forward. They need to bring it out a device. It's going to cost a fortune. No one can do that like Apple. They need yeah, to get yeah. the usability, the UX, the UI. They need to get that right. No one can do that like Apple. And that's why, I mean, we they're talking about bringing something out in June. I've heard it's delayed now to September. I've heard, you know, they're not quite happy with it, so they won't. Brilliant. 
take all the time you need. Well, I heard that Tim Cook was trying to push it against the wishes of his design department, which is intriguing. So uh, I think I he wants to that. sit on top of a brand new product category. But if if Apple is, is good at one thing, I think with the debacle with Apple Maps, that, that hurt him a bit. And it's a long time ago now, but it was, yeah. that's a bad press on that one. They definitely don't want a repeat of that. And who knows what it would do to the share price, but I'm not a financial advisor. But, but, um, but the interesting thing about Apple Maps is that all they were doing is duplicating what Google ever had. They didn't make anything better. They just wanted it themselves. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Lots of companies need to do yeah, that. But, yeah. you know, if you really want to do like Apple, you got to do it. Where I think they're going to do better is they're going to knock out Google and they're going to replace it with an LA, their own large language model AI search. And then all of a sudden, you know, everyone on iPhone is going to be using this search and not Google. And that's where I see the major disruption happening in the market. Yeah. I think, that, did, we, did we talk about that the other day, this idea that you can fit a large language model uh, yeah. smaller versions on a phone, on the device and process it locally. I, I mean, that, that happens with Pixel. All of the voice processing is done on device, no, no cloud connection. You can do it just without any internet connection whatsoever. But the idea that you could have all the world's knowledge on your phone is, is phenomenal and tied to privacy. Mm. That's a powerful concept, well, you know, the world in your it pocket. Will be a, yeah. It'll be a smaller model. It doesn't need to be the, you know, yeah, 79 exactly. billion yeah. parameters and things like that. It doesn't need to know yeah. the history of Indochina and, you know, uh, nuclear yeah. physics. It doesn't need to know all that. Yeah. But if you yeah. take, you know, the top, 20% of a large language model and you can boil that down into I heard the file was like a gig and a half of essentially all of the text and they can compress it in and then have it run locally because what you see with all these LLMs is they take months and 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 millions of dollars to train okay which is fair enough but you know we're at day 1 we're at day 0 0.5 Go forward a little bit, especially with the rapid advances that are happening right now. And we are guaranteed, in my opinion, to have large language models, basic ones, but running on our phone to do the basic stuff that we need. Yeah. If you need anything better that it can't, boom, it can go off to Apple's data center, to that one that's got, you know, 50 trillion parameters and has taken years and a billion dollars to train. Perfect. You know, so that's the kind of way I see it panning out and the disruption in the industry. Yeah, I, I love that. I would be all aboard for that one and uh, to be honest that's a category killer as well it's like you would want the phone that has that you absolutely would well I, I, this is exactly the thing and this is why i'm sure samsung will do it and probably apple will do it and maybe i mean i don't know i have a one plus no one needs seems to know what they are nice phones great phones uh they're brilliant i love them but you know this is why we're going to see a a very significant change in the way everyone does everything. I mean, we already I turn to ChatGPT before Google search a lot these days. I can't give you a yeah. a, 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 yeah. a number. I, I don't know what that number is. But if it makes more sense to ask a large language model, I will do that. Uh, and then some things it just doesn't make sense in that Google is a more linear, you know, better way of to uh, uh, finding something out. And I mean, since day one, when ChatGPT was released, I was on it. I was writing about it. I've been completely yeah. addicted about it ever since. But normal people are too. You know, your average guy in the street is also kind of getting there and realizing that, hey, now I can get an answer rather than just a list of websites that may contain my answer or may contain a whole of spammy SEO optimized bullshit content. And 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that needs to die. Yeah. It's an interesting one. That, that's some tricky territory for me as a, you know, a Google employee. Difficult to have a, an opinion on these matters, but I, I absolutely sure. take your point. I think the concern is, uh, I mean, something that's been true of, of a lot of this stuff with the, the audio in particular, if, the, if, if that information is being drawn from uh, the corpus, the, the world's data, and you don't have, uh, you know, advertising against it or a subscription model. How does the person making that content make money? I mean, it's absolutely fair that they should. Uh, this is maybe come back to Web three, where we're talking about, you know, potential microtransactions. And uh, I, one of the interesting things about ChatGPT and Midjourney is it's gotten people uh, back into subscriptions for uh, online tools, which I think in mm. itself is quite interesting. So the idea that people are uh eschewing this model where you know famously you are the product and you're being advertised left right and center all of that gets out of the way and you just have this really clean interface um and you know what we were paying for our cable television or mobile uh subscription plan maybe we have for an ai and maybe we have it for uh, whatever creative tools we have and we we're paying it for netflix or or disney plus yeah. is this one way of financing uh, where we do get our content and where we do get our search results from in the future. It's, it certainly seems ripe for change. And I think we're going to see very interesting. hundred percent. I, I do pay for chat GPT plus or four or whatever yeah. it's called, mm -hmm. but I only did that reasonably recently. And some of the guys in the office were like, what do you mean? You're not paying for it. We all pay for it, but mm -hmm. they're like coders mm -hmm. and they're developers and, and, and that's fine. Yeah. I never felt the need to pay for it because a, I didn't have any of the, I can't log in problems. It would always work fine for mm -hmm. me. Yeah. And B, I was happy enough with the data and output I was getting from it. But in the short while I have been using it, the quality is a lot better. Um, mm. You know, I don't get ChatGPT to write for me, but I get it to generate some ideas or I get it to yeah. do spell check and grammar, which I'm you know not great at. So yeah. um, I think it's got some room for improvement. What I'm looking forward to most is when it has a longer term memory and I can yeah, feed it a yeah. whole load of my data and it will remember that. And if I ask it to write something, it will be in my style or it'll know what I'm looking for. Or, yeah. well, you know, with plugins, it needs to know all of my personal information so it can go off and book me a restaurant or a holiday or, you know, sign up for that visa or whatever it is without, we need to get also get away from this. I need to put in the same shit like every time I go to a new website, that's ridiculous. And yeah, hopefully these yeah. models will enable us to get away from that. Yeah. Well, that, that lends itself a bit towards, uh, well, who, who you choose to authenticate. One of the benefits of signing in with Facebook or Google, uh, you have the potential. I mean, I obviously avid Chrome user here and I make a point of yeah, me too. addresses are in there. So I don't have to do a lot of that stuff. And Google pay was going to be a, a nudge towards them. It's not got the widest, uh, uh, rollout, but uh, rather it is rolled out. It's not used as much as you know some people would like it to be. But it's a great way of just not having to share a lot of details with uh, uh, somebody. You know, buying something from some other country, you might not want your full credit card details across there. But moving, we're, we're bringing it back to Web three, and something I'm really taking with is this concept of self sovereign identity. Uh, rather than have this version of you repeated across multiple different websites, you just have one core, uh, like very fleshed out version of you and then choose which aspects of it you want to share. 
Um, I think just the, I mean, the, the most obvious one for that is if you're brave enough to put your measurements on there, when you go clothes shopping is never having clothes that don't fit you anymore because it's going to be impossible to buy them because that data is shared with, you know, next or whoever you, you buy your clothes yeah. from. Just yeah. knows it's going to well, be right for you. I think you should say that we need to get into the mass micropayments market is what I would say. I mean, I, I've always had this vision and, and I hope someone does it is that, you know, how often do you get a really great piece of content? And yeah. if it made, if someone made it very easy, I could just click a button and go, here's five cents, 10 cents, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And if millions of people do that, then you're encouraged to create, you know, yes. great unique content. Look at, so there was an article today to say that Reddit are trying to sue some of the LLM people because Reddit is such a massive data hoard for quality data. I mean, how often, I don't know about you, but I all the time do a search. And at the end of it, I put Reddit because yeah, I'm more yeah. interested in the results that are in Reddit than something yeah. else. But I don't do it on Reddit because the Reddit search is a piece of shit. But got it. You I'm know, a Stack Overflow guy. Reddit, I've, yeah. I've got a very significant Reddit um flare count what do they call it i can't remember i you know i've been on it 10 years but you 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 input a huge amount of this very valuable data you're giving your knowledge your expertise your opinion you don't get paid for it that is another thing that i really feel and that's where web3 and nfts and things like that can come in because you know i think ai messes this up because you know we're going to be mixing the 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 sort of synthetic content with the organic human content and we need a way around that and Sam Altman's got human coin, which is doing pr- proof of personhood and stuff. But at the end of the day, we need to start rewarding on a very small and local scale uh, the ability to uh, reward with very, very small amounts of money. And then over large amounts of people, that can add up to people making you know significant earning sums out of it. That's basically yeah, the way I yeah. see it. My only sort of uh, caveat on that is I, I think Bill Gates talks about micropayments you know, 20 years ago, the road ahead, and um, we're still not there yet. Um, the number of times I get quite a juicy article I'd be willing to pay for, but I don't want to subscribe. I don't want an annual or monthly subscription to your paper. I'll pay you 50 cents just to read this article. Please allow me to do that. And nobody's done it yet. And I think just the yeah, and the cost of processing that stuff, I think it was something that Apple did this approach uh, back before everything was streamed you would uh, be buying things from itunes and it would group them so they would only run the credit card like once you'd hit ten dollars or something like that if you were buying them but piecemeal there's, so there's, that, that was about as close nothing, as we came i think there's nothing wrong with you know putting ten dollars on your account and then when that ten dollars is gone it tops up again starbucks starbucks is basically you know, one of the biggest banks in the world in theory, because people have Starbucks really? cards. They took twenty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not actually a bank, but in theory, yeah, yeah, yeah. they have so much. What did Apple do this week? They came out and they said you can get four point five percent APR if you if you keep your money with us. So Apple have magically 4%. become the biggest bank. Man, I need to get an Apple card. Four percent. Yeah, I know because but how many trillions do they have sitting in in cash? Good lord. Um, <laughs> Apple also released this other thing whereby you can make a purchase on your Apple Card and it will automatically split it across four payments over four months. Oh, taking on Klarna. Now, yeah. Well, let me tell you, I'm in Brazil, as I told you, mm-hmm. and in Brazil, when you go into any shop, and I mean any shop, clothes shop, electronic shop. The price is advertised not as $150 for a pair of sneakers. 
but it's how much, oh, let's say $120. It's $10 a month over the next 12 Ooh. months. That's the way yeah. they do it. Um, Apple are that. basically bringing that in, but it's, it's, it's kind of free. You know, it's like, it's part of every credit card. You just decide, do I want to pay now? Yeah, or I might buy I later. And that's what Apple are bringing in. It feels like a scam to me. Just the same idea if something's $199. I mean, just, I'd almost rather pay the extra dollar for peace of mind. Just so I could do more arithmetic in my head, but I think yeah, there's just obfuscating the price and then well, making you buy way, way more. It's a, you're effectively converting a flat purchase into a subscription model, which I think is correct. A, disingenuous, and B, borderline um, abusive, knowing how people are with credit cards. That, that to me, is a, a very retrograde step, and I'm sorry to hear they're doing that. I think what I you agree. could say about Klarna is at least it streamlined the uh, returns process and the refunds. Mm. I think they handle mm. that in a way that's a little more uh, dependable, but... That that doesn't fill me with enthusiasm, if I'm honest. I think, and I'll revert to my colleagues on this one, but one of the reasons that they do it out here is because Brazil is not a wealthy country. And, you know, mm -hmm. your average person here earns far less than $1,000 a month. So yeah. buying that pair of Nike Air Max is not something that's easy. But if you really want it, you can have it spread over 6, 10, 12 months, you know. Apple are clearly bringing in this model. I mean, you know, we've 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 heard the World Economic Forum. You will own nothing, and you will be happy. And you know, everything's moving to a subscription yeah. model. Yeah, I don't like or buy into that. I still do think that we need a way of bringing things to a. I will give a very small amount of money to reward something that has been of value to me. And if hundreds of thousands or millions of people do the same, yeah. then the person who has created that content can make a very significant living. Yeah, and I think the beauty of that is, uh, I mean, people are making a lot of money on YouTube because they found their niche. Uh, definition of the creator economy is just, um, you've got something meaningful to say and the idea that you can find your audience now as never before. And if you can, you know, people, people in good businesses selling t-shirts in Second Life, you know, the metaverse, uh. What was that? Was that like 20 years ago now? Uh, the True. idea that there was a, a workable economy back then? That's impressive, at least 10 years. Mm. Um, yeah, all, all in favor of uh, that kind of piecework. If you if you find your people and they're willing to support you and they're getting value for money, then yes, I would love the mechanisms to be in place for that. Well, you know, let's talk about NFTs because this is a topic that I'm quite passionate about, that I like to yep. talk about, like to write about. Yep almost because there's so much confusion or people that really don't understand it. Unfortunately, yeah. the word NFT has been polluted because people see that someone's paid $2.1 million for a JPEG of a monkey. Yeah. And that, and I wrote about this, you probably saw it. I had a pretty successful post. And most people are just like a fool and his money is easily parted. It's but it's yeah. not that simple. It's not that simple because yes, you are buying a photo and yes, that photo, I can screenshot it and I can have it on my phone or you can email it. But you could also say, well, if I, you know, get a high quality picture of the Mona Lisa and print it out and put it on my wall, do I own loan the Mona Lisa? No, I do not. Okay. Realistically, it comes down to a couple of things. Number one, it's a digital flex. So you might have a Rolex you might have a Ferrari, you might have a Monet or a Picasso on your wall. But in the digital age of the people who've grown up in the digital world, who have this very acute 
you know, value for digital assets. Um, that's your massive digital flex. And you can now have that as your Twitter handle, your LinkedIn, your Discord, or whatever. And people know that you're a baller because you can afford and that you have bought or you were smart enough to buy this really early. And, you know, and, that, and what does it do? It gets you access to this virtual club of yeah. people who have the same thing. And I've had m multiple conversations with people who have, you know, uh, any of these very expensive NFTs. And they've told me, yeah, I paid a hundred grand for it, but I've made several hundred thousand out of it yeah, because yeah, it gets me yeah. into circles. It opens doors, it closes deals, and it gets me invited to parties on yachts and hanging out with those people. That would never, ever happen. And getting me into that circle is priceless. Are you saying that you just bought into a Masonic Lodge? <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Do they give you a funny I, handshake when you buy your first yeah. NFT? I haven't I bought one. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, I certainly don't buy, you know, million-dollar NFTs. Uh, I wish I could. Yeah. But I, I'm fascinated by the people that do. Yeah, sure. I, you right. know, I, I, I do. I, I, I am in the industry. I'm, I'm reasonably deep. But what I would tell you is the deeper I get, the more I realize I don't know. Because yeah. if you look, I mean, the, the NFT industry has done a remarkable you know, flip-flop up and down over the last little while. You know, uh, 12, 18 months ago, <sighs> OpenSea was doing $40 billion on their platform, and then that collapsed to like $2 billion or something like that, okay? Yeah. But people kept buying NFTs, and I suppose you could call them beanie babies or whatever you want. But what's absolutely crazy is what these communities are buying in. And I saw one yeah. not long ago, and the website was like, you scrolled once and you were at the end of it. It was like two pages. And mm. there were these squiggly, funny characters with funny faces. And it was like, these are the things. Here's the link. Roadmap. Not nothing, but no promises. <laughs> that was the roadmap. And the guy sold 8,888 8, of these things. Wow. Yeah. And they sold out. And 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 I'm kind of going, you know, how do I you get? We're in the wrong business, Colin. Uh, I sort of, I know, but but it's also very difficult because there's been a lot. Because I've done this, there's been a lot of cash grabs in the industry. There's been a lot of there's been. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. the name of this. One of the rappers came out and he made this big fanfare and I'm selling NFTs. He sold like a hundred of them. It was a complete disaster because people see they see what you're trying to do, and if you're not in the community and doing what the community wants and feeding them in the right way. And the person, if it's a celeb yeah. celebrity NFTs are, you know, just not hitting it like they used to. Uh, Snoop did very, very well out of it. He made $44 million in one drop Lord. with wow. Gala Games. And he made $22 million in one day. A very close friend of mine knows him very, very well. His, uh, his line to me was, I'm shitting money, is what he said. He's made more money in NFTs in the last few years than in the rest of his entire music career. But... He also said, well, I've just become CEO of Death Row Records. He goes, I'm taking that music off Spotify and Apple. And mm -hmm. the guy said, why? It was on a podcast. And he goes, he goes, what about the people that want to listen to your music? He goes, what about me who made that music? Am I not entitled to, you know, make the money off that? He goes, are you doing? He goes, you want to own my music? Is buying a CD owning music? No. Is having a Spotify subscription owning music? No. If you want to own my music, you can own a fractional ownership of that NFT and you can have mm -hmm. it and you can own it and you can trade it and you can make money off it. That is the vision that he has. And uh, 
there's some really interesting stuff happening in the space. I think when you hear the stories of people that made it big, but wrote their contract with the, uh, uh, the record yeah. industry early in their careers, they, they pretty much always regretted it. And the idea that you could potentially bake in a, a much more equitable uh, value uh, portion in those stages and using something like NFTs or the blockchain to track that, then yeah, absolutely. I can, I can see how important that could be. Um, I think for me, I've, I've sort of been quite cynical of them because it felt a bit like musical chairs. Um, I mean, people were getting out the stock market, they're buying crypto. Crypto was wobbling a bit, they were buying NFTs. They were, they were on to the next thing. And by the time punters like myself hear about them, it's like, it's too late. You know, once it hits the, the mainstream, the real money's been made and they're on to the next one. So the whole thing's a bit of a house of cards. Um, I think my concern was, I mean, I, I buy art. I bought many paintings over the years and I grew up in a in a house full of uh, art and paintings. And yeah. I'm grateful for that. I never bought an NFT. But the, the flip side of that, I know a lot of people that were buying NFTs and who'd never bought artwork from any other source, which made me think it was the whole tulip fever, fear of missing out things. And uh, I mean, over and above, you know, when they say never, never buy a piece of art that you don't like for its, its own sake and that if you could never sell it again, would it give you that amount of pleasure over time? Mm. And I don't think you can make the same case for the NFTs, although I understand that same thing with your friend in the Rolex. Uh, when he walks into a business meeting and shakes hands with somebody wearing, you know, in the Rolex club, then there's mm. that little invisible confirmation passes between the two of them. And so I understand the utility of of paying membership for, for certain clubs. Uh, I, I just choose not to uh, frequent these clubs, as uh, Mr. Marks may have, may have put it slightly more pithily. Um, yeah, it, it's intriguing to me. Um, I, I've sat it out. I'd rather put my money elsewhere, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I can see why people do enjoy it. And I can see that the blockchain more than the NFT. I mean, the other concern, of course, was the minting and the and the gas fees. But I, I understand that's becoming cheaper. Yeah, slightly I more mean, I think they've, environmentally they've, they've friendly. mostly solved these problems. I mean, look, the way I talk about it is that since the beginning of time, people have collected things. They've collected yeah. coins. They've collected Shells, stamps. They've batteries. collected smart, you know, sports memorabilia. They've mm. collected baseball cards. Baseball cards, yeah. you know, yeah. what's the what's the difference? You know, it's just virtual baseball cards, records, all of that sort of stuff. There is a psychological effect in having and owning something. Yeah. And now we're moving into this sort of digital world. Does that mean that, oh no, sorry, you know, that that's all out the window? No, it doesn't. It just, you know, means that it's different and it's evolving. You just have to look at how many. Uh, kids, any parent who has kids from, I don't know, seven to 17, they're buying skins in games like Fortnite mm -hmm. and they're using V-Bucks yeah. in Roblox. And, you know, I, I heard a fairly depressing story the other day about a mother, a single mother with two kids who could barely pay the rent and was working two jobs. And her kid is at her all the time. I want $10. I want $10 because I want to yeah. buy these things. And yeah. this is, that's all the kid wants to spend the money on because that's where they see the value. And, yeah. you know, we as old fogies in comparison can't really judge because kids just sort of see value in, in different things. But also as, I mean, I was talking to Sebastian in Sandbox and he was just like, look, you can go buy a pair of shoes and then, you know, a year later they're wrecked and you have to throw them out. Whereas you can buy a pair of shoes in, 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 in Sandbox or anything and 
you know, you'll have it forever. You're never going to lose it and you can sell it to someone else. And maybe a shoe is a bad example. If the intrinsic value comes more from your standing within the community and if that moves away from, you know, if it becomes last season's goods sure. and the idea that God forbid you should ever wear the same dress to two different weddings, we're in this <laughs> completely disposable economy that's, it's, you know, by its nature unsustainable. I think we're in that uh, already. At least, well, yeah, I mean, at least it's benefited. Okay, so it's digital, so the footprint is substantially less. But I would imagine the tastemakers are always keen to move you on to the next thing and there'll be financial pressures in a way to separate from your cash as never before so i'd, I'd be wary of following the herd on that i mean the, the kid mm. badgering the mom it's all right that, that ten dollars to buy a skin is is again paying for membership into a club but you i'm just left thinking you don't have a stake in that club you're you're at the whim of other people and it can move quickly and what happens when it goes up to twenty dollars in the same way I mean, kids going into school with the wrong brand of shoes mm. or going into the business meeting with the wrong brand of watch. I, I just feel mm. like you can't win at that game. And <laughs> if possible, I choose not to play it. And I'm yeah, slightly concerned enough. that kids are, are, you know, doing that. But uh, I, I think there's an element of um, we, we need to get a grip on, on the things that we do value in society. And just because yeah. we have the urge to collect doesn't mean it's good for us. And mm. sometimes it's better avoided. But yeah, so, money to be made, that's for sure. Let's talk about the metaverse. Mm. Tell me your thoughts. Because I know obviously uh, you're AR, VR. I, I kind of came you know. to it late. I mean, despite having spent hours and hours in many uh, digital environments, I can remember that the back of my hand. I mean, just thinking I, you, you could put me in Doom, Doom 2 or, or Quake yeah. 3 and I, I could walk around with my eyes closed pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, to that extent, I've spent a, a significant proportion of my life in virtual environments. Um, Decentraland, not a huge fan. Uh, I mean, as far as it looks graphically, I mean, you, you, you're looking for it. Well, the joke is PlayStation 2 format, and we're in a PlayStation 5 world. So there is that, but just the general clunkiness. I love the immediacy of being able to fire up in a browser, which I think is a big win for me. Um, I started speaking on the metaverse. I feel I came to it actually late. Uh, I did about a year of presentations on it, and I always finished them with a chart of the price of ApeCoin and land sale price in other other side, and pretty much down and to the right in, in the, all of these currencies. And I, I took a little bit of a satisfaction in that. So there was a sense of broken promises already. Uh, I think none of them allow you to do anything useful at the moment, which is a concern to me. Uh, the ones that seem to be engaging are the ones that have sort of snuck in and become metaverses like Roblox and uh, Fortnite, as, as I said before. Um, the the one that shifted my perception on it really was, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm talking about metaverses. I should try like build one for myself. And the platform I just went with was spatial because I you know, played around with it before yeah. and visited a few and it was no code. And I, I, I really loved it. So I'm doing a bunch of mid-journey images, and I figured uh, I could make a gallery. And you know, Instagram is certainly one way of doing it, and it's where most of my stuff is. But there was something about putting it into a a physical space. You know, I didn't even give that a second thought. A physical space and seeing it on the walls, and then it does two things for me. I can put a headset on, and I get a sense of scale, mm. which just gives a new context to what you've created. Something that's just on a screen now mm. is taking a large 
proportion of your visual field and so you're you're immersed in it even if the resolution is not great on the on a vr headset there's something about the the physicality of of that which i really really like and then the other element was i would sit there and i get visitors and people would just sit and chat and we talk about art and they'd ask a question about one of the pictures we'd have a little conversation and how it started and what the story was and i loved that so there was That's a period cool. where, uh, after work i'd sit in my little gallery for an hour every evening mm. and occasionally people would drop by and I, I ran little uh vernissage yeah, yeah. wine and cheese as i like to call them and we would sit and we'd talk <laughs> about art we'd visit other people's galleries so yeah as far as my metaverse sit there drinking gone, your wine turned very positive but I'll, I'll put that fully at the door of spatial which i really like <laughs> now i hope this makes the cut you can probably figure out from our dress sense that we're gonna uh launch this in the metaverse very soon we'll have a floral range hawaii inspired outfits digital you can uh, buy them <coughs> in in the real world and we'll attach it to your metaverse account you can carry these things around and ready player me or your metamask so uh i'm, I'm getting 70 percent. he's getting 30 percent. but don't tell you'll be back in a minute let's talk about mid-journey uh because this is and for the viewers you should definitely follow robert because he does some super cool stuff and posts um a lot of really interesting stuff uh, about AI in general, but specifically you play around a lot about Midjourney. And what you told me is A, you come from a an entire family of artists, which is which is really, really cool. Uh you're doing some work in the creative industry, but you 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 seem to have a very significant passion for this and where it's all going. Yeah. Uh that that it's exactly it. It's uh funny to imagine how passionate it has been. It was something i would go to bed dreaming about let's put it like that wow and i haven't had that in a little while I, I think there was an element of frustration at work as well where there had been more creative work in previous years i used to make stuff and uh, i think over time my job uh, sort of shifted more towards pushing numbers around spreadsheets as many jobs mm. seem to these days and so there was an itch that had not been scratched for a while and the discovery of something like that there's, there's a level of obsession comes with it as you just want to explore all the the nooks and crannies um so it, it's been really really fun and just this understanding that i think musicians maybe have this you know they, there's a if you play in a band or in a in an orchestra or something like this there's this opportunity to go out and express yourself in some art form in a way that a lot of visual artists i think lose and as much as i enjoyed art uh, lessons at school and and actually to a slightly lesser extent in, in secondaries as compared to primary this idea that you have to slavishly follow uh, the rules and then your ambition for the image in your head outstrips your ability to uh, portray it or render it uh, to use the correct phrase and then having a tool that just takes all that uh, you know arguably years of you know 10,000 hours to mastery out of the equation and to an extent does a lot of the work for you but at the same time lets you explore ideas that were floating around in your head some of them for years and just mm. to visualize them was wonderful uh, somebody described it to me one time as a a dream printer and i love that concept a dream printer i love yeah. it that's incredible um what i'm i suppose most fascinated by is the logical next step in this yeah, it's great to be able to create an image. And when I when I saw Dali 2 at the start, I was just like, whoa, wrote about it, blah, blah, blah. Did I go back and start creating images? 
not mm. really. I mean, yeah, I kind of went back and I need something for a PowerPoint or I need, you know, like, like the one I was telling you about the other day, I wanted a, a, a visual of, of a particular celebrity or whatever that, 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 that's fine. But where, okay. And you know, I'm a photographer. I've, I've done photographer for photography for years. And now with mid journey five, you can go, I want a picture of a young blonde girl in a red skirt with a yellow flower, um, taken on a Leica, you know, F2 lens with, you know, the uh, Eiffel Tower blurry in the background with some clouds and it will give you the most stunning shot. So commercial photographers, <laughs> they're in big trouble. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying they're gone forever, but if you're an art director and you're like, right, it'll cost me several thousand dollars, possibly $10,000. It'll take weeks to get what I want. I might not even like it, or I can just play with mid journey for like an afternoon and get what I want. Nine and a half times out of 10, we know which way that's going. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting to me about the logical next step about that is video. And mm -hmm. yeah. the, CEO of Midjourney basically said that within a few years, we got some very rudimentary text to video already. You will be able to ask an AI for anything you can imagine, and it will stream it to you in real time. Yeah, yeah. But how's that going to change stuff? Well, I think exactly as you say, this idea of, um, I guess, the the domain of stock photography for many years, and we've 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 had quite expensive accounts at work, and we're doing more presentation work these things would be quite expensive and the danger would be what somebody internally we were using some people in the campaign were running and he just did a, a modicum of research and uh, our lead character also appeared in a hemorrhoids advert so there was an element of reputational uncomfortableness as you could imagine imagine those on the tube side by side um so there, there was that aspect of it gets expensive when you want exclusive use to you know worldwide imagery and to all intents and purposes, if you needed a specific image, you were constructing a prompt in the search input for a stock photography library anyway. And mm. so the idea to generate it on the fly is, is phenomenal. And I mean, we, we were, for our team, we would have, I mean, paying hundreds of dollars uh, a month for access to X number of downloads. Um, the idea that you can have $10 and come out with the same amount of material. I would say the finesse comes into it. If you've got a very specific idea, uh, it's harder to pull off than you might think. So that, that girl with the, the yellow dress, she, she might not be looking in the right direction. Mm. And an art director would not allow you to get away with mm. that. You say, yeah, we're saving you money. It's like, yes, but not the image I, I asked for. So uh, just because it's possible to create beautiful images doesn't mean you can edit a creative brief. And what I found to be true specifically from looking through the the LinkedIn people that I follow and then I've, I've built a small art community around mid-journey users who happen for the most part to be creative directors in their day jobs. Uh, mm -hmm. They're the ones equipped to create images that have that uh, validity to them, uh, the kind of things that you could put into print or, or run as an editorial. Uh, and so I, th I think these people are not necessarily disenfranchised. Uh, I, I think the pressure is... Yes, it, it's certainly on for stock photography libraries, but I think photographers, they have an ability to articulate what makes a good image and choose the lens and the exposure, which are all things you can specify in a, in a well-engineered prompt. And yeah. so I, I'd recommend anybody in that world who's a bit nervous about this shift, uh, see it as a force multiplier. Uh, use the language you already have when you're on a shoot and see what you can get virtually. Um, 
Midjourney version five is the version to explore that with, but it will take lighting and, and camera lens inputs. Uh, and if you can uh, compose a nice shot, there's a living to be had from that. And arguably you get cleaner, faster shots and a lot of stuff that you don't have to shoot on on site now as well. So I'd, I'd like to see it as an enabler or an augmentation of, of people that already have skills in this area. I mean, we, 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 we talk about new technologies. Yes, they will take some jobs away, but then they will create new jobs. And clearly the one that has come out from absolutely nowhere into now you can make a couple of hundred grand is a prompt engineer. And you say that, you know, but I don't know anybody that is. That, but yes, I've, I've heard and the rumor. Maybe that's one of these you know jobs. In, but I yeah. can already, I mean, I'm proficient, but I'm by no means an expert. And I've got a couple of businesses going on that I was like, I kind of wish I just had one of these like guys on Reddit that I see that are just absolute experts. And I, I've actually yeah. had some conversations with them because you just want someone to sort of, you know, okay, I have an idea, but you're the guy who can expand that idea into something amazing and really knows how to get the most out of yeah. this AI. And that's where I, 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 I kind of see that going. Um, you know, we talked about earlier th these sort of radical, uh, how do I say, changes in the cost of something by orders of magnitude. And yeah. the greatest way to describe this is that, you know, to me, AI will produce these orders of magnitude in cost cutting in the same way that the printing press did. So if yeah. you go back, you know, hundreds of years to before the printing press, books were few and far between. And yeah. the Bible was the most popular book. And it was produced by a team of monks who would hand scribe yeah. the thing. Yeah. And it would cost the equivalent of several thousand dollars today to yeah. have a book. In comes the printing press. And it goes from, you know, $20,000 down to 20 bucks or whatever it is. So you got these massive transformations. That is what, at least we hope, AI is going to do in many, many different areas. And yeah. it might take jobs away, but it'll also bring down, you know, we believe the cost of living in, in many, many ways. Because if Elon Musk has his, you know, billion Tesla robots running around and they can build us all houses for, you know, quarter of the price and rapidly lower the cost of food and medical supplies. Well, wouldn't that be incredible for the world that we all want to live in? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'll come back to the, the thing that you say, which I think maybe a lot of business owners think about 10x the reduction in, in the cost of production. Uh, I like to think there could be a 10x increase in Maybe not the volume, but the uh, the quality. Just the the tools, the simplification they bring in. It allows you to explore a lot more ideas, a lot more quickly, and discard the stuff that doesn't make sense. But if if you're on a deadline, there's always the urge to, you know, go with your first idea, and you don't want to go too many iterations in. But the ability to explore a space in a playful manner, I think, is great. So, as much as I imagine, yes, there will be this urge to. Uh, reduce our team sizes. Um, I think we can also make the counter argument where we supercharge them and allow mm -hmm. them just to do better work. Uh, I, I'd say, yes, there was the whole thing about the mechanization, the production of, of books, as you say, but on the same time, now you have these uh, just-in-time printing. Anybody can write a book and you don't mm -hmm. need to sell 10,000 or have a massive print run to actually uh, get out there. 
but at the same time, it doesn't have to be vanity published. If, if you've got a story you want to tell and yeah. you can tell it to a hundred people and you're happy making a thousand bucks, mm. then yeah, but it, it's back to this idea that everybody can now participate in this economy. Uh, and so much as it will disrupt mm. uh, a lot of uh, the incumbents, um, I think it will give opportunities to many that just have this latent creativity that they haven't had a chance to express. And that in itself feels like it fulfills the, the, self-actualization at the peak of maslow's hierarchy so um, <laughs> all in favor of uh, people mm. being more their true selves and, and finding their uh, their audience well uh, there's a couple of things there because i mean number one if you look at the productivity of your average worker over the last hundred years it has gone you know light years up uh but there's the age old argument as to why wages is stagnated and then we've got inflation and those sort of things. Uh, but what hopefully AI will probably do is, is enable us all to get to that type of the pyramid in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, you know, for so many of the basic things to be kind of done for us, then we can all focus on that. And I had Scott page on the first one of these podcasts and he was, as I told you, a member of, Pink Floyd, Toto, Supertramp. He's a you know a forty year veteran of the music industry. He's now deep into NFTs, and he talks about a friend of his who's also kind of you know big big music guy about how it's so difficult to make money in the music industry these days. And I, I see this myself in, in my other business. But you only need a very small amount of super fans. Basically, if you get a thousand people to spend a hundred bucks a year on you you know, there's your platform. And then you can sort of build from there, especially when it comes with it, it, it into NFTs and then you've got royalties and you've got ownership and, and you're not getting absolutely taken advantage of, I'll be polite, from record companies, from middlemen and things like that. That's digital freedom. That's the way he yeah. explains this yeah. stuff. And yeah. that is kind of what is really, really exciting to me. By using this technology to take it to yourself, to, you know, all of these guys who are, you know, uh, how do I say, either artists, musicians, whatever, they're doing it because that's their passion. That's what they want to do. And some of them make millions of dollars and the rest of them scrape by on the breadline, but they do it because they love it. And let's get to a place in the world where, you know, that is what you're doing because you want to do and you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd, that would be a lovely world to live in. That's for sure. Um, and to be honest, I think not everybody is going to participate. I think we're always going to have more uh, consumers than producers when it comes to art. The, the idea that suddenly yeah. it's, going to, it's all going to be arts and crafts and lovely. And we've had that vision many times before. And the idea of affordability, of, of mass production of beautiful objects, which has kind of come and gone. I would say Apple have gotten closest to this, this craft element. But um yeah, I, I, I do like the idea that my sister has been a band for years and you know, I would say she's never broken to the big time, but she's got very loyal fans and she loves playing yeah. smaller uh, venues uh, around Edinburgh. Engines of Vengeance, check her out. Um, <laughs> but uh, I speak to somebody last night, actually, who uh, runs an AI uh, music uh, business. Uh, they're, they're still a little bit in stealth, but they have this virtual band that has amassed a quarter of a million hits in the last month or so uh, on uh, on YouTube, and I can see them doing great things in the future. But they're all musicians. So a, a um, virtual band. Just explain. Exactly yeah, well, how it's they, work. okay. So on the basis, 
they have a heavy metal orc band. It looks like something from Blizzard. Just phenomenal imagery on this. So they're, they're called the, uh, let me get this right, the, the Frostbite Orklings. Um, not really my kind of music, but it's, sure. it's impressive to see what they've done. And they've trained it on themselves playing their own instruments. So they've, wow. they've owned the whole process all the way through. And that in itself is, is a great way of uh, just exploring new music in a way that I think respects people's copyrights. Uh, and and it, this is the element. It's like when artists use these tools, don't be thinking of it as stealing from artists, although I understand there's concerns about where models are trained from, of course. I, I'm very, very sort of sensitive to, to that topic. But at the same time, uh, you can't dismiss this. This this is like um, a painter saying a camera is the devil's work. Um, if you have a desire to self-express and you're willing to try something new, you may find these tools are incredible and just a way to uh, amplify everything you're doing mm -hmm. and find your audience wherever it may be. Uh, but yeah, just seeing it impacting a lot of, I would say, industries. But um, uh, Trent Reznor used to talk about this. I mean, I, he started giving away his music for free, and mm. the assumption was he'd make his money back on live performance and merchandise. Mm. And the what used to have been advertising for the the live gigs, the CDs, uh, became a loss leader. Now he was obviously was quite a, mm. you know, was very well known and famous at that point, but it was a great model for what music could look like, and increasingly what art and production could look like now as well. So. Um, well Friends are giving stuff away for free, but I'm, I'm buying their T-shirts for their AI art on, yeah. on, on Threadless right now. But I love that. I mean, it was only yesterday that I was on Twitter, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he wrote an incredibly famous book called The Bitcoin Standard, and it is the Bible for anything Bitcoin. It spends 80% of the time of the book not talking about Bitcoin, talking about the financial system and the way money is created and the way it's managed yeah. and basically tearing all of the holes in it. And then at the end, it's kind of, and this is Bitcoin and it just makes all the sense. And he did another one called the Fiat Standards, done another one. He posted a picture and it, it was literally his three books. And it was like, here's my 996 pages that has taken me six years to do. And one of the guys replied and he said, I'd love to read them, but I'm, I can't afford it. And the guy went, go pirate them. And someone went, you're okay with that? And he went, I just want to get my message out. And in the long run, it'll be better for me. I don't give a shit if someone who cannot physically afford it wants to go and read my book for free, go for it. I was like, that's brilliant. I, almost, I want to get him on the podcast because he's, he's a bit of a legend. But, you know, yeah. again, this comes back to this sort of, you know, changing the dynamics of, uh, of the technology to, you know, in enable what you really want and what's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I feel I'm, I'm not trying to come back with contrarian opinions each time. It's like, yeah, totally on board with that. It works for the knowledge economy. Uh, mm. ChatGPT is not going to dig a ditch for you anytime soon. And there's going to be a lot of stuff, you know, who's going to look after old folks and homes and things like this. So um, as much as it will be revolutionary, there's still plenty in the world that are going to be, you know, until the point you get very, very cheap humanoid robots. But I think we're still, I, I can't see that happening in our lifetime, to be honest. Uh, really? You know, the best like, regard okay. for Boston. So I think we're going to have to take this to our our, our next talk, but I think that's going <laughs> to sure. happen, you know, 
I know he's a very polarizing character, and I certainly don't anything I. But I wouldn't bet across. I wouldn't bet against Elon Musk, and he's just produced a human over robot in a couple of years that it took Boston Dynamics ten. I'd say five years time and you're they're gonna be watering plants in this office and they're gonna be sweeping the floors and within Yeah, but you're assuming morning, they're gonna be cheaper than a cleaner or a, a contract gardener. Yeah, but humans, he, he there's a lot be, of them and they're cheap. He says they're gonna be twenty thousand dollars. And they'll be twenty thousand dollars, and they're okay, going to work twenty three hours yeah. a day, and they're not going to yeah. ask for you know time off, and they're not going to get sick or anything like that. You're good. Basically, they're going to they're, you're going to rent them. We've all seen that Elon Musk yeah. is doing his X.com super app. He's starting with Twitter, he's starting with payments, and then he's going to bring in everything else. And you're going to be able to you know get a a, a Tesla taxi with ride hail or uber or whatever you want and you're going to be able to um to rent a robot to you know help with the cleaning in the house or you know build a shed in the back garden or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. that is the way i'd see it i absolutely see it in our lifetime and i see it you know in the next 10 years mm. I, I, again i, I kind of hope you're right uh, <laughs> just feel like uh, i mean to give you an idea i tried my first vr game 25 years ago and it was always five years away. I fell yeah. off of technology is five years away for decades. And well, I guess they said the same about AI. And here we are with ChatGPT, feeling like we're closer to the singularity than we ever have been before. So um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to to what is it we well, say we uh, we overestimate the short term and underestimate the long term. Yeah, I, very, I could be guilty true. of that right now. Yeah. I think we should uh, pause this now and uh, continue these conversations the next time, Rupert. As always, it's an absolute you. pleasure talking to you. I mean, we, we, we've done today what we've just done many times uh, late into the night, and we've got yes. loads more to talk to. Uh, it's been insightful. Really appreciate it. And uh, can't wait to have you back on. It was a real pleasure. And uh, thank you for having me. 